Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 13 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is the top 10 rules for conducting internal investigation interviews. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. In today's episode, I'm going to go through my top 10 rules for conducting internal investigation interviews. Given the important role that internal investigations play in corporate compliance program, it is even more important that such investigations are conducted fairly and effectively. The outcome of an internal investigation will usually turn on the quality and integrity of the interviews of key witnesses and subjects of the investigation. My list of top 10 rules is not meant to be the exclusive nor preeminent list. Rather, it reflects my 27 years as a federal prosecutor and my 10 years in private practice and the perspective I've gained in conducting numerous interviews, interrogations, and courtroom examinations. So let's get started. Number one, understand your case. You need to map out your case. You have to understand the focus of the case, avoid tangents and vast conspiracy theories, and stick to the facts. It is important to obtain as much information and background data as possible in order to map out the investigation and how you expect to conduct it. This is a continuous process which is constantly evolving and updated as you begin to investigate. Take for an example an allegation of conflicts of interest and theft involving an employee who is alleged to have contracted with a relative to provide services to the company and who is alleged to have submitted inflated invoices in order to steal money from the company. Obviously, it's important to start with how the company learned the allegations, who was the complainant, what evidence the complainant submitted, and then plan out next steps from that point. What documents need to be secured? What are the specific allegations and elements of the offense, theft and conflict of interest? And put together a preliminary list of witnesses who may have information about the matter. Your understanding of the case changes as you collect more information, and it is important to take a step back from the details to see what you've gathered, what other sources of information, documents, and witnesses may be available, and what steps you need to undertake to move the investigation along. Number two, preparation. You need to know as much as you can about your witness his or her history at the company, prior experience in education, his or her family life, as much as may be known, you want to try and understand the witness before you meet him or her. What kind of person is he or she? Personality. What are their motivations? If you can review the witness's HR file to determine the record of promotions, complaints, and other issues that may have come up. Number three, know your documents. To conduct interviews, you ideally want to have collected and reviewed relevant documents. In some cases, you will not have that luxury. A complete set of documents may not be collected by the time you have to interview various individuals. Whatever you have, make sure you review and know them backwards and forward. Develop a timeline and start to fill in dates so you are always updating the chronology on paper or in your head. As you write this out, insights and patterns will come. You need to study your documents because they are important to the interview and to eliciting information from the witness. Make sure you study the documents and do not limit your review to only those documents with the witness's name on them. Important communications among other witnesses may have occurred even when they did not mention the witness's name. 
Number four, develop an interview order reflecting the importance of each witness. Start with the complainant and background witnesses, expert witnesses to the extent you need them, and then move up the chain to the more important witnesses. Always finish with the primary subject of the investigation, but be prepared to go back to some witnesses and then return to the primary subject if necessary. Number five, pick the location. You should pick a location for the interview commensurate with the seriousness of the investigation. If the investigation is relatively minor, straightforward, then avoid an elaborate setup to underscore the importance of the matter. In some minor matters, I've even seen people who found it appropriate to meet in the witness's office. In most cases, however, it is important to set the tone for the investigation and its overall importance. In these cases, I recommend scheduling interviews in a conference room. You have one person with you assisting you in the interview to take notes. A formal interview process requires the witness to leave his or her office and come to the the conference room or whatever room you find appropriate. It is important to have the witness leave his or her comfort of their own office. If the investigation requires an interview of a senior executive, the executive is probably not going to be willing to come to the conference room and may ask you to come to his or her office. You should be prepared to do that. It is a good idea to try to have the executive move from behind his or her desk and sit at a couch or chairs where you can sit across from the executive and observe him or her. Number six, advise the witness of his or her upjohn rights. You have to provide any subject of an investigation of his or her upjohn rights, emphasizing that you do not represent the witness, the company controls the exercise and waiver of any attorney-client privilege and confidentiality, and the witness is entitled to have the assistance of counsel. The advice of rights should be in writing, the witness should review it, and the witness should sign and date the statement of rights indicating his or her desire to move forward. The formal writing is necessary to avoid any dispute over whether the witness was advised of his or her rights and whether the witness chose to go forward with the interview. Number seven, building trust. It is important to build trust with the witness and avoid bullying and threats Whatever your particular style of questioning, threats, yelling, or bullying tactics are unprofessional and rarely, rarely, if ever, successful in eliciting information. Most witnesses are nervous to begin with, and basic background questions are important to put the witness at ease. As you continue, you should ask questions in a firm and professional tone. Depending on the role of the witness, you can ask questions in a way to suggest that you are helping the witness by pointing out inconsistencies and previewing what others may conclude from the witness's answer or from the explanation of statements made in the documents. Number eight, observe the witness. Eye contact is important to understanding and reading the witness. Never write out or read questions to the witness. Write out topics you plan to cover. Keep the focus on the witness. Keep your eyes focused on the witness's eyes and the mannerisms of the witness. Write out the topics you will cover and formulate the questions as you proceed. Play off the witness's answers. Listen carefully to the words and the expressions that the witnesses uses. You should minimize any moments where you take your eyes off the witness. Never look down at your paper 
and do not take extensive notes. Bring someone to take notes and keep your focus on the witness. Make sure you observe body language, facial expressions, and look for tells when the witness is uncomfortable and observe the manner in which the witness answers questions. All of this is important to reaching credibility determinations. Number nine, let the witness tell his or her story. In the beginning, after the preliminary questions such as background, career path, and responsibility, turn to the facts of the investigation. Give the witness an opportunity to tell his or her side of the case. Ask open questions. Do not lead the witness and let him or her speak as much as they want about what happened. During this presentation, watch the witness as he or she answers questions and look for soft spots, such as glossing over important events, omitting key events, or appearing uncomfortable, or using expressions that provide some distance as to the nature of the true facts. Once the witness has gone through the story, ask follow-ups to fill in the gaps, but do so with open-ended questions, not with leading questions. After completing this process and getting the witness's entire side of the story, you're now ready to go back and confront the witness, but confront them professionally by using other witnesses' testimony that you know of, but you do not mention the other witness, and, most importantly, your documents. Your documents have to be organized with copies for the witness and for you, and usually in chronological order or perhaps by topic in chronological order. This is the important portion of the examination, where you can demonstrate by your questioning and use of documents that you know the case well, and perhaps know additional information that the witness may not know, or know that you know. How's that for an expression? The witness may not know that you know something. The documents provide a ready way to confront the witness with inconsistencies, omissions, and terminology that's important to test as to the witness's story. Without giving away your interpretations or overall beliefs as to the facts or changing any of your facial expressions throughout this interview, you will go through the documents with care, constrain the witness's preliminary story by showing the witness that the documents may not or do not support the witness's version of events. If you do not have documents that provide contradictions or omissions, you may have to rely on statements made to you by other witnesses. Never ask a witness to comment on another witness's credibility or say, if witness X said this, would witness X be lying? Instead, use the other witness's information to confront or ask the subject witness about the incident or issues. Remember, your goal is to pin and constrain the witness. Rarely, if ever, will a witness confess to the allegation when being questioned. Number 10, always ask the ultimate question. If the witness is alleged to have stolen money or assaulted a co-worker, make sure you ask the ultimate question. Did you steal the money? Did you assault person X? You're not interested in the answer because it's often going to be no, but you're interested in observing the witness's demeanor when responding because it will give you a reliable indication of the witness's veracity and ultimate responsibility for the alleged conduct. Those are my top 10 rules. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. 
the Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company they feel vested and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our new podcast series. You can contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you to achieve your goals.